John 7, at least we got the, right, we're in the Bible, right? <laughs> We've talked about this idea of celebration within the context of our faith. And you know, I really, um, unfortunately, um, when, when, I, when I prepare messages and things like that, God does this weird thing in me and makes me like think about them way past when I present them to you and convicts me of when I don't do that. Imagine that, he's got a lot of nerve. But anyway, so, so I, I was working through and still continuing to, to kind of wrestle with this idea of celebrating within the context of our faith. And, and what I find is we, we need an object of our celebration. We need something that we can actually celebrate. And, 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 and I was kind of just searching and thinking, and I've come to that, you know, the world is really a broken place. I mean, there's, there's a lot, a lot of brokenness in our world. And I was looking online, um, Time Magazine had this whole um, photo section of photos from Haiti. And I was looking at um, what, what the earthquake, what happened in this earthquake. And there are pictures of bulldozers scooping bodies and putting them into dump trucks so they could take them and, and bury them in mass graves. And I'm thinking, we don't, we don't experience things like that in America. I mean, we really don't. I mean, that's some brokenness that, that we just really don't understand. And now, now, don't get me wrong. We have our stuff here in America, too. We have a lot of brokenness, you know, things, child abuse and addictions and, and all these things that, that we hear about in the news and murder and mass murderers and serial killers. We, we suffer from our own brokenness. And sometimes it's hard to look past those things that are happening all around us that are in the news. Listen, when, 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 a, when a cruise ship goes from, from America to one of the islands and makes it, that's not news. When it sinks, that's news. And so news is really negative, and we can sit there and we look at it, and it's hard to get past and through that and, and to find something that we can celebrate, to find something that we could, we could be grateful for, to find some light in the darkness. So I was thinking, man, you know, we, we got to keep it real. We do. I mean, last week we said, you know, we should be grateful for electricity, and I really do believe that. We should be grateful that we have running water. And, and, I, and I do believe that. But, but we don't live in Africa. We, we don't live in Haiti. We live in America. And we have a different standard of living than those other countries. And though I do not think we should ever for one moment take that for granted. And I do believe that we have a responsibility to the rest of the world. But we should never be embarrassed by that. I mean, this is, this, is, this, is where, this is where we live. But I'm going to keep it real. Sometimes I am just not satisfied with the way things are going in my life. Anybody ever get there? Sometimes I'm just not grateful. Sometimes I don't see anything that I need to celebrate. Like when the children are fighting over the last cookie in the bag. Again, do I need to celebrate? Oh, children, let's just celebrate that we have cookies in our cabinet. You know, that just, it just doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me. And sometimes life comes at you hard and it hits you real hard out of the blue. And, and, and it's hard to be grateful. And it's hard to look past those things. You know, I guess it comes down to this. And this is what, this is kind of a, the caveat to what last week we talked about. I want you all to consider and think about the condition 
of your heart? Where is your heart? See, I don't want anyone to think that you have to paste some plastic smile on your face and walk around like everything is falling apart around you and you're supposed to be happy and you're supposed to be grateful and you're supposed to be celebrating because that is not healthy. That is not a healthy way to go through life. But what is the condition of your heart? Are you keeping things in perspective? Are the things of God, are those are the things that motivate you during the course of the day? Or is it all just about you all the time? Do you need to keep up with the Joneses all the time and have all the things that everybody else has because you don't have them? Or are you trying, are you trying, are you trying to live your life for God and the things of God? We have to remember that we, in our journey of faith, are in process. If we weren't in process, we wouldn't need Jesus. But we are all in process. And so where are you in the process of celebration and gratitude? Are you moving, continually moving into the deep end? Or are you backing up and moving into the shallow end? What is the condition of your heart? Gratitude, celebration, they go, they go hand in hand. I do believe that. They do. But they begin, they begin in here. And, and so I don't want anyone to, you know, I, I was worried last, you know, there's, there's a thing called, I call it the pastor hangover. And you wake up Monday morning and you go, oh, I should have said that. Or did I really say that? You, you know, and you go back to listen to it online. And you go, yeah, I did. Um, and, and, but, but I didn't want anybody to think that you're just supposed to paste the smile on your face and think everything is okay. What is the condition of your heart? Are you moving deeper and deeper into the things of God? And when you begin to do that, gratitude will come. Celebration will flow from that. Are are we tracking? Do you understand? I'm done with that. John chapter 7. That's not John chapter 7. I'm going to begin reading in verse 1 again. After this, Jesus went around in Galilee. He did not want to go to, I'm sorry, he did not want to go about in Judea because the Jewish leaders there were looking for a way to kill him. When the Jewish festival of tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, leave Galilee and go up to Judea so that your disciples there may see the works you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his own brothers did not believe him. So Jesus now is is speaking to his brothers and they're encouraging him, almost taunting him that he needs to leave Galilee and he needs to head to this festival in Judea. They want him to make a public appearance. They want him to get out into the public and let people see what he's doing. So maybe for the last six months or so, he's bopping around Galilee, right? He's healing people. He's doing miracles. He's teaching and preaching, but there's no more big crowds. There's no more large crowds following him and his brothers are like listen you, you you need to you need to get out there you need to tell people because jesus message hasn't changed 
He, his message is that he is the son of God, that he and the father are one, that he has come to bring reconciliation to the world, that we need to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And this message is global. It's for all people. And his brothers, they, they really don't understand that. And so they tell him, you, you need to get out of this little town and you need to go where all the people are. Go to the holy city and you need to show them what you're doing. Show them and teach them the things that you've been meandering around here in, in Galilee for the last six months. Make a name for yourself. His brothers, they share a very common Jewish train of thought. See, what the Jewish tradition would say is that the Messiah cannot be the Messiah in the fullest sense of the word unless the Messiah reveals himself in the signs and wonders that he is doing in Jerusalem. That this is where it has to take place. And when that person comes and reveals himself there in the holy city, then this is the Messiah. And his brothers are encouraging him, go, if you're talking all this smack, go, show, show everybody. Even Jesus would say that no prophet can die outside of Jerusalem. And the way the brothers are talking to him, they believe he can do the things that he's claiming to do. They've seen the miracles Jesus is doing. They've heard the teachings that Jesus has been teaching. But, but they lack a very basic and fundamental understanding of who Jesus is. And I think for us, so do we. I mean, we can't look down on our noses, down at our, yeah, that way, about, about the brothers of, of, of Jesus, because we fall into this too. I know, that, I know that we know more about Jesus than maybe they did. I mean, we have the Bible. We've studied the Bible. We see the stories, and, and, and we believe. Followers of Jesus, we believe. But I still think that we lack this, this fundamental understanding of who Jesus is, because all of us, all of us, we want Jesus to perform for us. We all have expectations about God. We all have expectations about our relationship with Jesus. All relationships have expectations. And we have these things that we expect of Jesus. And if you don't think so, listen to the way you pray. Jesus, can you, will you, could you? But, but don't get me wrong. Don't get, this, it, that's, it's okay. That's a good thing. We're called to, remake, to make all our requests known to God. This is what he calls us to do. We're called to cast all of our burdens upon him because he cares for us. This is what God calls us to do. But in doing that, with those words, we get expectations about that relationship. And when he doesn't meet them, when he doesn't meet our expectations... Sometimes we get a little disappointed in God. Sometimes we get a little disappointed in Jesus. And some of you, you may be thinking, I have no expectations about God. I would say that most times that, that position comes from a place of you've been disappointed so many times, you've just given up hope that God will ever answer. How many people here have stories of God answering prayer? How many of you have stories of God not answering prayer? Maybe not in the way that you thought he should. You know, we don't like to talk about that in church. I mean, that, oh, that's a no-no, uh-uh. And we don't like to be honest in church. Honesty has no place 
in a community of faith. But but see, but see, that's 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 for real. You don't. I can't. Ima- I, I can't even count how many times I have I have prayed with people and in my own time of prayer. God, show yourself strong in this or or in this or for them. And I always thought that that it was from a very pure. A, a pure place in my heart that I had pure motives and asking God, show yourself strong. But I'm not so sure anymore. I, I, part of it is self-centered of me to pray that way because you know what? When God doesn't come through the way I expect him to come through in the time that I come through, is he weak? Is he not showing himself strong? I mean, I, wouldn't, I would never admit that to you, but something in my spirit's like, huh, what's up, God? He let me down again. And so I think sometimes we, we, we lack a basic understanding of who God is and who Jesus is. Even, even in our own life. And you know when I was thinking about this, uh, wrestling with this over the week, that messes me up a little bit. I mean, I mean that just kind of scrambles my eggs a little and I think, okay, I shouldn't be thinking this way. I'm a pastor. I, but, you know, welcome to my thought process. I I pray for miracles. I pray to see miracles. I pray to be part of God working miracles. And I have a very very clear definition of what miracles look like. I know what they're supposed to look like. I've read the Bible. People walking, people being able to see, people being able to hear, people being cured of, of terrible diseases. And sometimes I don't see those. Yes, maybe medicine will cure them. But I want to see like a, whoa, boom, you know, and there it is. It's the miracle. And, and, and if I don't see those types of things, my clear definition of what a miracle is, does that mean that God isn't working any miracles? Some people would say yes. Some people say that, you know what, the whole miracle thing, the whole gifts of the Spirit thing, yeah, that's done. That was just to establish the church. And then now, yeah, we're, we're out of that stage of, of, you know, the what do they call that, dispensation or some really cool term like that. And, and now we're into boring. You know, I don't believe that. I don't believe that at all. I believe if the scriptures tell me that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, then the gifts of the Spirit are operating and working today just as they were back then. But sometimes I don't see miracles. I don't see those things. Does that mean that God is not working? Or does it mean that I lack basic understanding of the nature of God or the nature of Jesus? You know, maybe... Maybe it begins with this. Maybe it begins with our definition of miracle. In the Greek, it's the word ergon. Say ergon. That's an easy one, man. I'm not even going to make you repeat that. And, and it, means, it means a work. It means to do a deed. It means to do something, to act. And we've put this very supernatural connotation on it, that to be a miracle, someone's leg has to grow back. To be a miracle, somebody, somebody needs to walk on water. To be a miracle, somebody needs to be cured for some just, um, just terrible disease with like the touch of a hand. But that's, that's not the pure definition of what it is. Yes, those things are miracles. Those things are, the act of God, are an act of God and him moving. But that's just not what the meaning is. It's, it's a work. It's God doing something. And I would say that God is always doing something. If you have a Bible, turn to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians 1, 
Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to read in verse 13. Chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. That's the one right before chapter 2. Immediately following Philippians chapter 4. Got to help the youngins out in the front. Sorry. Um, He's going to punch me when we're done. Uh, (laughs) Help. I'm going to use Will's glasses. Would you punch a guy with glasses? He would. All right. Okay. Colossians chapter 1. Jesus loves you, man. Um, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Our redemption through Jesus is God working. It's a miracle. Our forgiveness through Jesus is God working. That's a miracle. Grace, God's unmerited favor upon our lives is God doing a work. It's a miracle. Mercy, not getting what we deserve, is God working. It's it's a miracle. Look what it says in in, um, verse 17. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's talking about Jesus here. Just the fact that we have not been reduced to a puddle of liquid schmutz on the floor, that our bodies are all held together, is God working. It's a miracle. The fact that the universe is held together, that planets aren't smashing into us, that we haven't fallen out of our orbit. God is holding everything together through Jesus. God is working. It's a miracle. And Mark, correct me if I'm wrong, if the earth would move one degree off its axis, life as we know it would end. God is holding that together. It's a work. It's a miracle. God is working all of the time. Sometimes we just miss the miracle. And so maybe some of you are thinking, all right, Dennis, yeah, you paint a really nice picture of God. Didn't you just say you were looking at pictures of the devastation in Haiti? Where is God working in that? Where was God when, when thousands and thousands of people have lost their lives? Even more have lost their homes. Where, where is God working through all that? God is in every heart that decided to pray for the people of Haiti. God is in every dollar that's been sent to help that country rebuild and bring things back together. Whether it's from the atheist or from the Christian and everybody in between, every dollar sent, God is in. God is in every rescue worker that has traveled from around the world that has left home and family, risking their own lives to help rescue people. God is working. That's a miracle. God is in every tear that's been cried for those who have died. God is in every broken heart. Because you know what? God's heart breaks over the brokenness of his creation. And so he is with every broken heart. God is at work. It's a miracle. 
and the brokenness that he cries over. I mean, it's the very reason he sent Jesus to fix it, to bring it all back together. God is still working. God is still making miracles. And maybe we just need a better understanding that we would find the miraculous in the every day. See, we just can't shake our heads at Jesus brothers like they don't get it. Because I think a lot of times, neither do we. And so Jesus' brothers, they want him to head into town. They want him to perform for these people. Show them yourself. No public figure hides. Get out in the open. It's kind of like the temptation of Jesus when he was in the wilderness with Satan, right? Satan brings him to the top of the temple in Jerusalem. Says, yo, Jesus, you think you're cool? Jump. God's angels will, will help you. Give the people a show, Jesus. Wow them. Give them something they can talk about for years and years into the future. Make a name for yourself. But Jesus did not fall prey to the temptation then, and he's not going to fall prey to the temptation now. Jesus' brothers, they can't understand, they can't begin to see that even his whole mission, his whole ministry needs to be unpopular. Jesus is calling people out. Jesus is is pushing against a religious system that has been in place for a really, really long time. And it's got so off course that when he comes to bring them back and to lead them back on the right path, they want to kill him. And as he moves in this public ministry, as he's doing all this work, Man, he doesn't even have the support of his own family. How lonely, how lonely that must be. John 7, verse 9. I'm sorry, verse 6. Therefore, Jesus told them, My time is not yet here. For you, any time will do. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify that its works are evil. You go to the festival. I'm not going up to this festival because my time has not yet fully come. Having said this, he stayed in Galilee. Jesus tells his brother, okay, guys, listen up, man. You know, it's not my time. It's not the right time for me to go to the festival. You, you all can go, but for Jesus, it's not the correct time. I'm sure that, well, Jesus... He took every opportunity and used it to its fullest potential. And I'm sure somehow he might have thought that him wandering up with the caravan, everybody moving toward the festival would not be the best way to capture everybody's attention. But that being there late, showing up late, that he would have everybody already assembled and he would be able to begin to teach. He would be able to begin to speak to them. And what he's about to say, we're going to look at in the next couple of weeks, what he's about to say It's really important and holds a lot, a lot of weight. Jesus never rushed in. Jesus never lagged behind. His timing, the timing for him was always, always important, as it is with with any ministry. And then he will tell his brothers, he'll say, you know, for you guys, any time will do. Not so much for me, but you, whatever time is good, is good for you. In the Jewish tradition, there was this um, a self-evident thought that every person has their time. 
Every person has a specific time in their life when things take place. If you look back into, I think it's based in, in Ecclesiastes 3 in that poem where it says there's a time for everything, a time to live, a time to die, all of these, these things. And it's a reflection of the order of creation. And, and there is a time for everything. And we as humans, we can move in and out of that. We can take advantage of the correct time or choose not to take advantage of the correct time. There's one line in that poem in Ecclesiastes that said there's a time to plant And there's a time to uproot. Now, we can decide whether or not we want to plant in season and grow something or plant out of season and not grow something. And so we can move in and out of this. And this was a very common Jewish thought that there's a time for everything. And now Jesus is going to bring this idea into humanity for humans that we all have seasons in our life. There are seasons that there's things that we do when we're young and there's things that we do when we're in the middle And there's things that we do when we get older. There's seasons for children. There's seasons for school. There's seasons for work. There's seasons, all of these seasons. And these are very broad strokes, but there are generalizations in the seasons that we go through in our life. There's a time for everything for us. And so it's, it's, it's very, um, it would be very foreign or confusing for his brothers to think, what is he talking about that, that any time is good for us? What is he talking about that, 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 that time doesn't really, really matter for us? But they're missing the points. They're missing what he's trying to say. Jesus is speaking in the realm of the divine, in, in the realm of, of spiritual things. The world is not interested in Jesus right now. The world is not interested in his time. And his brothers are on the side of the world. All they had to do was do their duty as faithful Jewish men. And that duty was to go at the appointed time to this festival, make sure that they followed and carried out the letter of what their law had told them, make sure that the right people saw them so they would not be shunned uh, by, their, by their family, by their friends, by, by the religious people. They were to do their duty. Religion became just a system to be followed. Isaiah would say a long, long time ago, these people, they draw near to me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. These people, they're saying the right things. They look like they're doing the right things, but their hearts, their hearts are far from me. They begun to go through the motions instead of focusing on what Jesus was offering them, a reconciled relationship with God. And he would tell them, you know what? The world can't hate you. You're part of this world. But the world hates me because, you know, I'm in its face. I'm telling them what they're doing is wrong, and they don't like it. But the world, it, it can't hate you. And for them, for the brothers of Jesus, the world he's referring to is their religious institution. You see, in Judaism, it's very holistic it's spiritual, it's economic, it's political. There's really no separation in their daily lives. And, and yes, they were under Roman oppression and that added more politics to it. But you cannot separate a Jewish person in their faith of first century from economics, from political, from religious. They are holistic. This is the way that they lived. And that's very uncommon for us. It's, it's very hard for us to understand because we like to categorize things in our life. We have our work. And then we have, we have church. And then we have our friends. 
our friends who go to church, and our friends who don't go to church. And then we have politics, and you can't, you can't bring politics and religion in because we all know that the Constitution says there has to be a separation of church and state. We all get that, don't we? And so we, we categorize everything in our life. But for the first century Jewish person, everything was intertwined. It was holistic. And the world Jesus is talking about, hating him, is Judaism. And he says, you know, it can't hate you because you are part of it. But Jesus is coming against an entire religious system. What God had given them that started out holy and divine has gotten way off track. So off track again that when Jesus came to bring them on the correct path, man, they wanted, they wanted to kill him. For, for us, for Oasis Church, we always have to take stock in what we're doing. We always have to ask the questions. What are we doing? Why are we doing it? Are we in step with the things of God? Are we moving where God is moving? Are we moving for the reasons that God is moving? Remember that, that God gave the Jews Judaism. It's, it's his religion. He had, this isn't some pagan faith. This is, this is the God, the creator of the universe. He gave this to them. He, he, he taught them. He laid out everything that they needed to do. This is not some whacked out religion, but it's gotten off course in church. We always have to check where we are both individually and corporately. We have to make sure that we are in step with God that we're not just part of some religious system going through the motions, but that the heart of God beats in the heart of us all. Are we joining things that God is doing? Are we, or are we forcing things in the name of God? The latter of those two is a very, very dangerous place to be. Jesus says in, in Luke 6, he says, woe to you, when everyone speaks well about you, because that's the way the ancestors spoke about the false prophets. And, and, and as I read this, you know, Jesus is hated. And as I read that, that verse in Luke 6, man, man, it just, it just, I started to think about this. So, so these prophets, they've come to teach the things of God, but yet everyone spoke well of them because they brought, they didn't bring the truth. They brought what they wanted. I want to I want to share something with you. Um, our church has not always been spoken well of. In fact, early off when we began, we were accused of leading people astray. And and um, as a pastor, I don't care who says that. That makes me nervous. That puts a check in my spirit. That makes me go to God and say, God, is this true? I don't ever want us to be a church that leads anyone astray. I don't ever want us to be a church that, that will shipwreck anybody's faith. And so I am always pressing in to make sure that, that, that we are on course, that we have just not become part of religious system, that we are in becoming who God has called his people to be. Are we moving in the unforced rhythms of grace? And are we seeking holiness within the context of grace? 
Are we doing what God has called us to do? I am always coming back to those questions personally and, and for us as a church body. And as long as I can say, yes, we are moving in those directions. And I believe we are. We're all in process and we are moving in those directions. Then, then I'm okay with people that might not agree with how we do it or the way we do it or the way we engage. That's okay. But, but we can never become prideful in that. Part of me, the tattooed me, wants to do things just to aggravate people. You ever get that way? I mean, just like, oh, they want something to talk about? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm going to give them something to talk about, you know? We're going off the hook on this one. But we have to check our spirits. We can never become prideful or arrogant in anything that we're doing because God can make this disappear in a snap of the fingers. Gone. We're selling the screen or maybe giving that one away. I'm not sure we can get any money for that. And, and, and we're gone. This is not about us. It's about God. And if we, and if we are checking and if we can come to the place of, you know, we're just not doing this to go through the motions. We're just not part of some religious system that is getting off track, but that we are pressing in and pressing in and pressing in and figuring out what it means to live a holy life and figure out how does grace come into that and, and figure out what does mercy look like? How do we receive mercy and how do we give mercy? You know, my prayer recently has been that I've been praying to God, God, show me, show me how much you love me. Show me how much you're patient with me. Show me how much grace and mercy you give me, not just so I can go, ha-ha, but because I want to love and care for other people that way. I, wanna, I, wanna, I want that to reflect the way I treat my family. Are we part of a religious system? Are we part of a relationship with God? Hold my calls. Are we moving in the right direction, deeper deeper into the pool of who God is, or are we just walking backwards to the shallow end? Where are you on your journey of faith? Have you just bought in to some lip service, or are you pressing in to who God is? Where are we on our journey of faith? Have we just bought in to some lip service, or are we as a community pressing in to who God is. As celebration and gratitude and gratefulness are a heart condition, man, so, so is this. Where is your heart? Let's pray. God, I want to thank you for your word. Thank you that at times... It's hard to get stuff out of it. But you've promised that if we press in, that if we knock, that if we seek, you are there. And so thank you for that. And now, God, I pray that as we leave this place, we would check our own spirits, that we would check our own hearts, that we would not get, get caught up in a religious system that we would not become arrogant or prideful in the way that we live our lives for the glory of your kingdom, but that in all humility, we would reflect Jesus. Thank you for grace. 
for mercy, for forgiveness and love. Amen.